Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrads.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. So last week I talked about a, a parable. There's a set of parables there in Matthew chapter 13. And it was about uh, if you find a, a treasure hidden uh, in a field, uh, go sell everything you have and buy that field because the treasure is worth it. It's talking about the kingdom of God and the opportunity to have a relationship with him. And today I want to move back in that passage, in that chapter, a little bit. And I want to talk about uh, an earlier parable that I think uh, kind of maybe sets the stage for last week's message. What do they call that? A prequel? Is that like Star Wars fans, it's such, I don't know. Okay, so uh, anyway, so it's called the parable of the sower, and it starts in uh, Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering this seed, some, now by the way, let me just parenthetically stop here. Uh, this is about God, and it's about God offering the kingdom of God and salvation through Jesus Christ to everybody. And the first thing we just want to recognize that the seed was thrown everywhere. So the picture is farmer's got a bag. He's walking around. He's sowing the seed and he's just throwing it liberally everywhere. Okay. Some fell on a certain place. Some fell on another place. All the seed was good. There was no bad seed. It was all determined by the soil it fell on. Okay. And of course we are, human beings are the soil in this, in this story. So uh, so let's go back to it. Uh, so a seed, as he was in verse four, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on a rocky place where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, that last uh, sentence there is from Isaiah, and it has to do with the spiritual dullness of, of people, and specifically Israel. And so, here's, here's the deal. In verse 18, a little later in that same chapter, um, it, it, the soils, uh, the parable of the soils are explained. And I want to go through that explanation and kind of make some application for us today. And I come from, uh, I come from uh, the Midwest and uh, Illinois. If you've ever been to Illinois, uh, most of Illinois, and it's not Illinois, um, most of it has very, very, it's like the number one corn state in America. Like there's coin, uh, corn and soybeans. That, that's, and from Chicago to St. Louis, you can drive the whole thing asleep because it doesn't rise. It doesn't turn. It's just flat. Black dirt, really rich black dirt. It grows, man. It grows stuff. We have a similar kind of thing in the Central Valley. We have the good dirt and great sunshine. And, and, there, and a farmer looks at soil and he feels the soil and he crumples it up and he knows if it's good or not. One of the things I think is interesting about this, I don't think this is just Jesus describing why some people are, are more sensitive and, and amenable to spiritual things. I think it may be more than just descriptive. It may be prescriptive. But if not, then, then that's how I look at it oftentimes in my own life. So I, I don't just look at other people and say, well, it didn't work because of this, this, and this. And it does explain some things. You ever seen somebody that used to be at church all the time, and now they're out doing something crazy, and you're going, well, what happened to them? Well, this might explain it. But uh, 
what is more helpful to us, I think maybe, is to use it as a, a, a way to judge our own soil, uh, the soil of our hearts, do a little heart check. Because I think we can, even if we've come to believe in Jesus at some point, allow our hearts to become a little like one of these, a little like these first three. And we need to guard against and make sure we're in category four at all times. And I just kind of categorize these as hard soil, shallow soil, busy soil, and fertile soil or impactful soil, not impacted, impactful soil. And I, I, sometimes it helps. So I just want to take a look at this. And I just have some thoughts. And they're not, um, I, I'm, they're just my ideas uh, of just one example of how this might happen. So for example, in uh, verse 19, we find this. And when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, uh, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. And so in the parable, the seed is sown in the path, the bird comes and snatches it. In the explanation, Jesus says the bird that he's talking about there, the, the one that snatches it, is the evil one. And so if you think about a seed falling on a path, the path is hard, it's been tamped down, it can't kind of get down in there. It, it, it needed to be churned up, it needed to be turned over, it needed to be softened up for this seed to get in there. And I was thinking about maybe one of the most prevalent ways that soil gets tamped down, uh, spiritual soil of our hearts gets tamped down. And one may be the hypocrisy in the church, which there's lots of it, um, or maybe a Christian hurry or something like that. But I think right now, as I look around the world, and it affects us as well, is a wrong worldview. Because when it says Satan uh, steals the seed, one of the greatest ways that I believe Satan steals the seed is through lying to us. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Satan is a liar. And today, I think that he has lied to us. So uh, much we hear about in the news or political situations, who controls the narrative? Who controls the narrative? What, what, is, what, is, what is the... Uh, the, the vaccine really about? Does it help? Does it not help? Is it safe? Not safe. And so everybody's fighting over who gets to control the narrative. Uh, where did the COVID come from? How did it get introduced into the world? Everybody's fighting to control. One government's fighting, another government's fighting to control the narrative. You think this only happens in political arenas? It happens. You ever have two of your children get an argument? They're trying their best. Mom, he, mom, he, they're trying to control the narrative, right? It comes from a much deeper uh, uh, kind of place. It is Satan trying to control the narrative. God tells you the truth. Whether we want to hear the truth or not is the issue. Who is, whose narrative are you listening to? I mean, right now, we don't even know what news source to listen to because everybody's trying to put out some narrative. We don't know what the truth is on almost anything anymore. And the, but that comes from another place, a deeper place. We don't know the truth about life. So here's one of the things that I want to suggest to you is that if, if, if you find your heart getting hardened, maybe you're listening to the wrong narrative. What would be some wrong narratives? Well, the point of life is pleasure. That's the point of life. It's pleasure. Well, that's not true. Well, life is incredibly empty and shallow if that's all you go for. A minimum of pain, maximum of pleasure equals a good life. It does not. On your deathbed, if all you've got to say is, well, we had some good times. Wouldn't you rather be surrounded by people you've invested in and that you've loved and loved you and you've contributed to their life and you've made their life wonderful because you believed in them and you encouraged them? You, they'll have a little, whole lot more to say to you than, well, we had some good times. Let's have another beer before you go. Is that too, not, not okay with that? Or, I mean, 
that it's a false narrative. A false narrative is that if you just have a lot of good times in your life, then that makes it worthwhile. It doesn't. Because deep inside, you know, what I know is that we were created for more. That was the thing that brought me back to faith when I was out trying to have good times is realize that I was created for more than this. I was created for more than just making money and having comfort. You see, the lies told to us about what life is about is a false narrative, and it, and it kind of it kind of gets us entrenched in a certain system. And that system is we're inculcated with every message we get, everything. If you can be powerful, if you can be famous, if you can be rich, life is gonna be great. Problem is, I'm looking at the powerful and the rich and the famous. Their lives don't always look great. On Instagram, that they control it does. We find out the truth, not so much, right? So what are the false narratives? So one of the things we have to do is make sure that the soil is tilled up in our lives. It's to not buy into false narratives, not be entrenched in misinformation about anything having to do with our life. God may want to challenge your assumptions. You might want to challenge your assumptions about what you're supposed to do with your power or your worldview or what you're supposed to do about the poor or the homeless or even just salvation itself or your existence. God may want to challenge your assumptions. Don't be hardened to that. Let God challenge them. There might be a greater purpose that you were created for. And not just entrenchment enslaved. We're, we're actually enslaved. So think about this. Think about a little kid who grows up in a home, dysfunctional. All homes are dysfunctional on some level. Um, except mine. Uh, <laughs> the reality is, is some kids are raised in homes where it's highly dysfunctional. Oh, you're no good. I wish you'd never showed up. I can't believe we have to deal with you. You're thinking, well, nobody would ever say that to a kid. Oh, yeah, sure they would. And so what does this kid grow up believing about themselves? They grow up believing that they're no good and they're worthless and they got to work really hard to earn it. Or maybe it's on this level. Maybe in your home, getting good grades meant approval and love or, or you was performance-based and you grew up believing that you spend the rest of your life trying to get everybody's approval, but you've been lied to. You've been lied to and you have these false tapes playing in your head, these old memories of your family of origins. Those are lies and they're evil. God says, you are loved, you are accepted, you are cared for right where you are, and I have a plan for your life that's greater than anything you could come up with, no matter what tapes are playing in your head. He wants to challenge your assumptions about yourself because he created you for something greater. And so when we allow these, these narratives to control us and they get, they get in, entrenched in our lives, we begin to not be able to hear the truth that there is an almighty God and then he loves us. And that he has a better plan. The soil is hard and Satan can come and say, oh, it's baloney. <laughs> That's for weak people. I don't believe any of that stuff. If you're here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, I just challenge you. Because you just got a hard heart and you, bought, and you bought into some lies. Some of us, our impact in the world has been limited because on some level, we, yeah, we, God's there probably. But I, don't, I don't know. About, I don't, that's for preachers. Me, I just. No. God knows you just as well as he knows me. Is a plan for you just like it is a plan for me. Don't buy the lies. Don't harden your heart to what God would want to do. Uh, the second one is, uh, the first one is about a hard path heart. This is about a shallow. It's that the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So in the Middle East, a lot, very rocky. And so they're in a context, they're looking around, they see the rocks and the hills, and there's a little bit of topsoil on top of it, just enough to get some things to grow. Um, But a lot of times, there's just heavy rock underneath it. And when it gets hot, that rock heats up, and it just fries from above and from below whatever vegetation is trying to grow. And unless it can find a way through a crack or a way down into the moisture in the deeper soil, it's not going to survive. 
And I think about this, this kind of this shallow and the, the, this, it, I think it may be about, I don't know, maybe it's false expectations. Maybe one of the ways that we would experience that. Um, <laughs> you expected when you came to faith, a rose garden, and then you suddenly found out there were thorns in the rose garden, right? I'm starting to think how to explain this. Uh, and I've actually seen this, sadly, uh, that I've actually seen uh, what I perceive to be young adults getting married just because everybody else was. Great way to start a marriage. Just great. Well, yeah, I want a marriage. I'm not really excited about the relationship, but I want a marriage. Well, what? <laughs> Does, it doesn't work that way. See, marriage is about the relationship. Yeah, I want, I want a marriage. I, I like the idea of marriage. I just don't want to have to really have much to do with this other person. Well, what? That, that's not a... That's, that's, but see, oftentimes people want to, they want religion, they want, to, they want a God thing happen in their life, but I don't, I don't really want to have a relationship with them, I, you know, right? And so as I was thinking about marriage, I, I thought, it, it, the more I thought about it, the more it kind of grew on me. Um, sometimes people sign up for the Jesus thing, but they don't count the cost. The Bible teaches, count the cost before you start something. And maybe they've been misled by a preacher who tells me, ah, you become a Christian, God's going to give you millions of dollars and your life's going to be easy. <laughs> Got bad news for you. Anybody who says life or marriage is easy is lying to you. The truth is that we want the benefits, but not the relationship. We want, to, we want kind of this long haul support, but not the commitment. We, we don't really truly appreciate the value of marriage or Christianity. I think about marriage. It's, it's hard work. It is hard work. And if somebody tells you you can have a marriage without just giving your all, and just risking everything, they're just lying to you. And if somebody tells you you can be a Christian and not give your all, they're also lying to you. See, I, here's what's kind of interesting. I, I don't forgive me. I, I get a little in the flesh once in a while and judgmental. I watch um, celebrities uh, just, you know, go from one relationship to another like junior high kids. And they're in their 50s. And they're in their 50s. And like, oh, oh, I got a new love. Well, didn't you have a new love two weeks ago? What? But this one's real. We're in love. 14 loves later, they're still acting like this. I'm thinking, here's the problem. You don't understand. You think the little lusty butterflies that happen here is relationship. That's not relationship. That's not the picture of marriage. You got a fantastic body. You got a fantastic body. Let's just do, to get, let's just do that. <laughs> Let me give you a real picture of marriage. And this is for free. I'm not even going to charge you for this. As, as my parents got older, and my parents, my dad was only 5'5", five five, mom's 5'3", five and as they got older, they shrunk. My mom's about that tall. It's a weird, I don't, I don't know how it happened. She's about that big now. If she's watching, hi, hi mom. And, uh, and let me tell you what marriage looks like to me. It looks like to me when, depending on which one was having a bad week physically, the other one would hold them up and help them step on curbs. And they would hold hands going, not just because they were in love, they needed each other to even stand up at that point. And as I watched my little dad, with his little short legs, my mom waddling in before my, my dad passed a couple years ago, I, I remember standing one day in a parking lot and just watching them walk into a store, and I was just so moved. Because we think love is about that young couple, they're both fit and they're in good shape, no health issues, and they love each other. Isn't that love? No, no, this is love. Anybody could do that. That's not hard to do. Come on. You can do that. You can do, it, you can do it every two weeks if you're a celebrity. Over here, this is, this is the picture. 
See, because what you miss out on here, you get lots of butterflies. There's a little physical stuff going on. It's so great. Let me tell you what you got over here. You got someone here who has loved you for 60 years and knows you inside and out and loves you just as much and probably more today than they did back there. Which one does more for your psyche? He thinks I'm hot. (laughs) (laughs) Or he stuck with me through 13 surgeries, the birth of four children, the raising of all those children, and now my knees are gone. I can barely walk. Which one is love? You see, we come in with this superficial lie from from point one that marriage is this, but it's that. It goes from here to there, and in the process, a whole lot of giving going on. There's a whole lot of love, a whole lot of acceptance, a whole lot of forgiveness, a whole lot of character building happening. When you become a Christian, don't sign up for this. Okay, God, I'll be a Christian if you'll just do this and this and this and this. You're playing over here. It's silly. Great God, and you're asking for that? God is not a bending machine. God is someone who wants to have a relationship with you and walk with you and grow you and invest in you for as long as your life goes on. He's in it for a much bigger game. There's a much bigger win to be had here. And so when we kind of come to faith and just kind of look at it in a really shallow way and thinking this is just, well, it's just going to be easy. It's, gonna be, it's not going to be easy, but it will be great. I promise it will be great. Sometimes we need to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to just settle for something less than what God has for us. By the way, it says in this passage that um, they have no root, and when trouble or persecution comes, I'm just going to say this, I'm just going to throw it out there, and just let it land, okay? And if you're watching online, this may land on you. Um, if you doubt this is true, I have a statistic for you. Nationwide, and Cody's in the front row, and you, and you can confirm that I got the right numbers. Half of all church attendees have not come back to church. And we're guessing that most will not. Now, I understand there's still some people at home that have physical issues and, and stuff. I, but that's... So the first time people who went to church weekly, these are weekly attenders or three times a month, the first time we hit a little hiccup where we can't go for a few months or it gets hard or it's a real weird half bailout. So the prediction here is that if it gets a little hard, the shallow ones go away. I think that is telling, and I want to not be one of those people. I don't want to take my ball and go home when it gets a little tough. I want to be one of the people who's a little deeper than that. I thought it was going to be an easy fix. I thought it was going to be a quick fix. The truth is the real joy is in the journey, not in the fix. And we're in it for the long haul. The third one, quickly, is um, the busy hearts. Have you ever met someone who just within the first 10 minutes, they just told you how busy they were? Hi, I'm Doyle, and I'm very busy because I'm very important. <laughs> you ever just, and you're just like, okay, too busy for me, evidently. I'm, I'm out of here. Somehow, busyness has... Here's what it says. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. (laughs) That's painful. Both of those hurt, don't they, in a modern society? Choke the word and make it unfruitful. Um, This week, uh, Denise 
I didn't ask her permission to tell this, but I think it's hilarious. Denise was in Chicago, and she ordered. I told her, you got to go to a hot dog stand somewhere downtown. Go to a hot dog stand. And she did, but I didn't give her instructions on what to order. And she ordered a hot dog with mayonnaise. I'm glad she made it out alive. She said, said the whole time the woman was slathering mustard, which she hates, on her bun, telling her, you don't order a hot dog with mayonnaise. Here's your hot dog with mustard and relish. (laughs) Some things you just don't do. One thing you don't do is tell God you're too busy. I had a friend many years ago. I, I've told you the story so many times, but it was a great lesson for me. He wanted me to go play tennis or something. And I said, you know what? I, I'm just too busy. He said, you know, that, here's the real deal. You're saying that you have something more important to do than play tennis. And that's perfectly fine. Just don't use I'm too busy because that's, that's, that's not the real deal. And it's okay for me to f- tell my friend that I had something more important to do. I don't think it's okay to tell God you've got something more important to do. Don't be too busy. As a matter of fact, there's this interesting thing in 2 Timothy 4.9. Paul was talking about, uh, only Luke is with me. Timothy, please come. And he's telling where all the other guys have go that supported him. And he says this, and Demas deserted me because he loved this world. Imagine this. This is Paul, the apostle Paul, in on the ground floor. The most amazing thing that ever happened in all of history. The most incredible thing that would change the entire world. And Demas had more important things to do. In my prayer time, I am so tempted to answer emails before I talk to God. Because I write my emails on my computer because I can't focus very long. And, and so I, and I bring it up and I have a rule that I cannot start looking at email or something else because there is nothing more important than God. There is nothing more important. And I don't want God to say, uh, God, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be with you in a minute. What? Well, I just got a few emails here. You don't mind, do you? What? No, I, I, I want to talk to God. That's the most important thing I can do. We need to be able to get that straight in our own lives. We have disordered loves and distorted view of wealth. If you ever find yourself thinking, if only I had more money, I, it would just be. Money's rarely the problem, by the way. And lastly, the good soil, the impactful soil, falling on good soil. And it's, it's real simple. It's hear God's word, accept, which, accept God's word which in this one says understand in another uh, of uh, the telling of the parables in either uh, Luke or Mark. Um, it says, accept, believe God's word. This is God's word. Accept this is true and apply it to my life. It's that simple. I just believe, I agree with God's word and, and accept it and I apply it to my life. And then you'll be fruitful. 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, that's not hyperbole, by the way. Think about this. I, I realized this recently. You take a grain uh, kernel of corn and you plant it and it grows. And it only produces one ear of corn. It has already gone from one seed to all those seeds. So you don't have to be some kind of hero, some kind of, some kind of superhero, Christian superhero. Any crop in God's kingdom is a good crop. 30, 60, 100 fold. But there is the potential that your life could just explode and impact so many people. So what are the soils of your life? What amendments need to be made to the soil of your life? How's your heart? Are you, have, do you have anything in place to guard it? Do you have anything in place to help it be healthy and, and good soil? I'm going I'm to make a, a challenge today. Here's the challenge. Whatever your go-to distraction is, it might be watching 
a particular political news channel. It might be watching sports. It might be looking at fashion magazines, um, watching, I don't know, Hallmark. <laughs> um, <laughs> just thought I'd alienate about half the audience right there just for fun. <laughs> Can I challenge you to something? Just for one week, between now and next Sunday, would you journal and discipline yourself to spend more time thinking about God his word and spiritual things than you do about that thing. That's all I'm asking. It doesn't seem like too much for a God who died for our salvation, right? Would you just, as an experiment, and then monitor the soil of your heart, how are you thinking? How are you feeling? How, how are you at the end of that week? Because my, my bet is that if you'll spend, I'm not, I'm not even just talking about just reading God's word. I'm, I'm talking about listening to Christian music, reading a Christian author's book, any, anything that keeps you focused this direction. I'm not saying you can't watch the news. I'm, not saying, I'm saying more. This is, do this more. And I, I guarantee you the soil of your heart will change. How you're feeling about the world you live in will change. How you're thinking about your own reason for being will change. I think it is worth us tending to the soil of our heart so that the crop that we produce in our marriages, in our families, in our community is one that honors God and changes others for the better. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time. 